Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Friday, thank the Lord. It has been one of those weeks, and it is the Three Martini Lunch. I'm Chad Benson in for Greg Corumbus. National Review's Jim Garrity as always is here. And today, rather than the good, the bad, the crazy, it's just crazy, crazy, crazy. And we start with a little friendship and bipartisanship uh, with a hug that went awry in the world of social media. Jim, this is why we can't have nice things. Indeed. Now, now, in addition to uh, this kind of surprising, you know, seemingly genuine expression of goodwill and respect and appreciation between Lindsey Graham and Dianne Feinstein at the end of the Amy Coney Barrett hearings. Look, this was expected to be, you know, the nomination Ragnarok. This was going to be uh, as big a clash as we've seen. And for those who, you know, were, were watching yesterday, I don't know if they were guys were kind of punchy at the end of the week, but you started to see Democratic senators and Republican senators kind of good naturedly joking around with each other. I think one of my favorite moments was when Cory Booker said that uh, Ted Cruz really isn't such a bad guy. It would kill him in Texas, but he's actually secretly a vegan. And of course, this is, you know, <laughs> it, and of course, I think that you know, uh, Cruz retweeted it and said, this is the harshest, nastiest attack I've ever been subjected to or something like that. So that you can see these guys who, you know, obviously disagree very, very strongly on the nominee, disagree strongly on issues, but who seem to have at least a certain amount of collegiality and a certain amount of not hating each other, even though they disagree so strongly. And then, you know, it's kind of interesting to see this with Diane Feinstein praising Lindsey Graham's work as chairman, as Lindsey Graham is heading into what looks like a tough, but not, you know, a tough bid for reelection down in South Carolina. I think he'll pull it off, but it's, you know, pretty darn close. Um, but then the consequence of this is that a progressive group, the, the judicial action, liberal judicial action network are so bad about this. They want Diane Feinstein to step down from her position on the committee. Now it's interesting, right before the, this hearings began, there were some Democrats murmuring that, uh, Diane Feinstein, who is getting up there in years, uh, was not the person they wanted leading their side on this, that she, her, her best days were behind her, that she wouldn't be up to the job. I'll leave it up to Democrats and critics of Amy Coney Barrett to decide whether they think Feinstein did a good job. But the interesting thing is that out of everything that happened this week, it was the hug with Lindsey Graham that was the last straw. They just cannot abide her anymore. She's got to go. And that's, that's you know what's what crazy. Uh, I don't know if it'll work, but that's that's what they're pushing for now. What's crazy, Jim, is is these are two people who are human beings. They're they're colleagues. They've known each other for quite a long time. And I think she also recognizes that this is probably her last go around in this, regardless of what took place. But I also think she thinks, well, I'll still probably be, you know, a senator. But Lindsay may not be here. And Lindsay and them probably have had shared a few drinks and laughed over stuff over time. And we've taken the humanity. We stopped seeing each other as as anything other than red and blue. And that's sad for the entire country. Yeah. And by the way, when it comes to, you know, the chairman of a committee and ranking member of a committee. Things run smoother when they get along. And this doesn't mean you need to have two you know, uh, high-level figures who necessarily agree with each other. I think when it, when it, the best example I can come up with in recent years of two guys who couldn't stand each other, both in their you know, official politics and behind the scenes, was Adam Schiff and Devin Nunes. Uh, and by the way, they got along fairly well in the House Intelligence Committee early on. And then I guess after Trump's election, uh, you know, the, the, it just became too big a division. 
But a good contrast would be uh, the late Elijah Cummings and Mark Meadows, now the White House Chief of Staff, but previously a member of Congress from North Carolina. They had a very good behind-the-scenes relationship. And I understand, you know, Meadows was genuinely torn up when Cummings uh, succumbed to his his health issues. And so that, you know, ideally, look, does this mean they're always going to get along? No. Does this mean you're not going to have a lot of party-line votes in your committee? No. But everybody can respect each other, that they're there to do a job, that they're there because they care about the country and that they are, um, you know, that they, everybody takes their duties seriously and you're going to, they take their responsibilities seriously. And ideally you got to have something like this. And then, you know, what we see between Graham and, and Feinstein, again, I don't think she's any less of a Democrat because she, you know, said nice things about Graham. I don't think Graham's any less of a, uh, a Republican because he went over and hugged her. Without a mask, I notice. But, you know, like, it, it, I'd rather see that than to see people hating each other 24-7, which apparently uh, some vocal group of Democrat, of liberals really wants to see. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that, too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. Jim Garrity, my name is Chad Benson, man for Greg Columbus. It is the Three Martini Lunch. And of course, we are enjoying the crazy this week and there's plenty of crazy. I'm going to play something for you because last night the town hall uh, was there and Trump, as we know, enjoys himself a good conspiracy. And Savannah Guthrie, who is debating him, apparently also running for president. Uh, they got into a little tete-a-tete when it came to conspiracies and bin Laden and oh my goodness. He retweeted to your 87 million followers a conspiracy theory that Joe Biden orchestrated to have SEAL Team 6, the Navy SEAL Team 6, killed to cover up the, the fake death of bin Laden. Now, why would you send a lie like that to your followers? You retweeted. That was a retweet. That was a, an opinion of somebody. And that was a retweet. I'll put it out there. People can decide for themselves. I don't, themselves. I don't the take president. a position. You're not like someone's crazy uncle who no, can just no, retweet no, no. whatever. That was a retweet. I have to be honest. Uh, it was bizarre. Why are you doing that? People started tweeting that stuff to me before he even retweeted it. And it, it just, I was like, what? And then he had found out he did it. And I've had uh, O'Neill, uh, the guy who shot Bin Laden, on my show several times, Jim. And, and he came out after the president. It, it, some of this stuff is is a little conspiratory to the point where it's it's almost lunacy. And it did feel a little crazy uncleish. Yeah. And here's the thing. You know, there are areas where you can defend the president's record. There are areas where you can defend the president's uh, decision making. You know, his critics can often paint him as Beelzebub. And no, he's not that. But there are times where the president doesn't just step in it. He doesn't just make a, an error. He uses terrible, terrible judgment. And it's inexcusable and inexplicable. And it cannot be justified by any light. And this is a good crystal clear example of this. And the, the, it doesn't take, you don't have to be a, a, you know, great detective to figure out what's going on here. Trump scans his Twitter feed, looks for anything that's critical of Biden, and then retweets it. And he doesn't care that, he doesn't care if it's true or not. Now, that, you know, most rational human beings in, in a situation like that, upon being confronted with the fact that they had retweeted something with a conspiracy theory that Biden had killed all of SEAL Team Six, 
I guess with this secret Biden assassin, like the first thing is, you know, SEAL Team Six, they're pretty good guys. They're, they're, they're pretty tough to kill, right? But apparently yeah. Biden's got some secret assassination squad that he can use to, to get them. That has been completely uncovered in, in, you know, the, in, the, in the media. This all got slipped under the radar um, because bin Laden wasn't killed. Now, you know, we've seen O'Neill come out. We've seen lots of people come out. This was kind of a big deal back in 2011 that, you know, bin Laden was killed. Um, and then Trump puts this out there. Clearly, Trump didn't read the I, I think it's very unlikely Trump read the article. I don't think Trump believes that Obama, uh, Osama bin Laden is secretly alive anywhere. I don't think Trump believes that still Team 6 was all secretly killed by Biden. But I think Trump has no particular moral objection to putting this out there because it sounds good, because it makes Biden look bad. And he just doesn't, and most people would confront him with that and say, oh, you know, I shouldn't have retweeted that. Uh, that, that was a dumb moment. I, I didn't read it clearly enough, and, and I, I was wrong. Trump can never say that. Trump can never say, I shouldn't have done that. So instead, he's got to say, ah, it's one person's opinion. Yes, but it's a crazy opinion. And you, as president of the United States, have a responsibility. You have to do better. You have to do more than this. And the president, for the better part of four years, has largely refused. He doesn't believe he has any particular obligation to see if what he's saying is true. He doesn't feel he has any particular responsibility to tell the truth. And so it's not even about like, you know, this doesn't even relate to his policy. I think there are people who hate Joe Biden who would say, well, no. No, he didn't kill. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. You might as well throw in aliens when, when you're, you're making those kind of, of conspiracy theories. So deeply frustrating. I find uh, aliens more believable yeah, than Biden had yeah. SEAL Team could sex. be there. That's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. And he never can say, oops, I made a mistake. Sorry about that. He just scans through, finds something, sends it out. Next thing you know. And then he stands by it. And people, it, that last night. The whole will. I want people to decide for themselves. Everybody's decided for themselves. He didn't do it. Yeah. Does he think this is a giant open question? <laughs> you know, that we still haven't gotten to the bottom of. Yeah. Apparently, he does. He does. We wouldn't be genuine in in the three martini if we didn't talk about the third crazy, also from the town hall, but not from the debate between Savannah Guthrie and Trump, between the fireside chat with Joe Biden and uh, George Stephanopoulos. And I'll say out of the two, I thought that one was far more coherent and it was actually about the people asking questions. But Joe answered some of those questions like, hey, why don't you, you know, if if you're going to shoot somebody and they're coming after you, maybe maybe you can do this. So instead of anybody coming at you, and the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot him in the leg. There's ways. Shoot him in the leg. That's, uh, that's, uh, which look, if you, I, I bet if you ask people in the moment that it's happening and you had the wherewithal to do it, they would probably try to do something like that. But in that split second, they're more worried about saving their life and other people than shooting them in the leg. Yeah, you know, uh, my friend Cam Edwards uh, said that this idiocy should disqualify Joe Biden from having anything to do with gun policy. I, I just characterized Biden's position as the I saw it on Kojak once doctrine. Um, you know, this <laughs> most cops, we, look, if you're, God forbid, in a life or death situation where somebody's shooting at you, if you're a cop, you're, you're just trying to hit your target. You're, you know, I'm sure they're taught hits aim for center mass because you want to incap- incapacitate the target. Uh, or headshots, but they get like, you know, nobody's got, we're not necessarily training, you know, master tricks, trick shot, you know, marksman here. Their job is to stop the threat. 
and they're not going to spend a lot of time saying, oh, can I, can, by the way, oh, by the way, if you, kill, if you shoot somebody and you hit the femoral artery, they're going to die. Keep that in mind. Like this, that can be every bit as deadly as shooting them in the heart. I believe that's how um, the Redskins' great safety, Sean Taylor, uh, was in an altercation in his house uh, with a burglar and ended up dying because his femoral artery was cut. Um, that's, that's the state of thing. We probably also remember Joe Biden's advice that, you know, buy a shotgun. And if you think you hear a prowler outside, just stick the gun out the door and shoot. And like Joe Biden likes to blurt out things where he doesn't know what he's talking about. And it, it took his answer. Um, I, I think anybody who's familiar with, you know, the, the types of responsibilities cops have saw that and recognized, Oh, okay. He's getting his, uh, his idea of what they should do from, probably 1970s, 1980s cop dramas where they could make those kinds of shots and stuff like that. So um, a spectacularly unrealistic answer. And it's the sort of thing where like, it would have been nice to see some pushback from George Stephanopoulos or anybody else. But of course we didn't get that. You know, it, you know I guess Biden 2020, shoot them in the legs is kind of the new slogan now. That is just the whole the whole thought process. I see cops every single day. They come in and out of the studio here because they, they do, they have shows on the weekends and they tape them early and, and uh, they've all said the same thing. Yeah, that would be great. And we'd love to figure out ways of going about doing something like that. But at the end of the day, you know, you aim big, you hit big, you aim small, you miss small. And that's kind of their, you know, how they're trained because you're, you're, you're in the moment. But you're saying the right things is what it's all about as a politician, not whether or not those things are real. Uh, it has been a fun week, Jim. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. Uh, and I look forward to doing it again. I'm Chad Benson. Follow me at Chad Benson Shells, Three Martini Lunch. Jim, where they follow you at? At Jim Garrity and at National Review, uh, contributing to the corner of the Morning Jolt newsletter and uh, articles here and there. I follow those all, by the way. I appreciate you out there, Jim. You, you, you're doing yeoman's work, my man. Always enjoy having you on, Chad. Thank you. That's been the Three Martini Lunch. Go enjoy your weekend, everybody, because it's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs>